You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. I'm Keely Yor, and I'm not sitting along Shotgun Spratling today. Shotgun, please, please have your walk of shame and explain to the people why you are not sitting next to me right now. I mean, I'm just sitting on my couch, relaxed and having a great time. I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, maybe because you're a little bit uh, too sleep happy, a little, a little too much sleep for you today. Yeah, well, I've had too much sleep the whole week. It's been an unfortunate thing. I've been getting like six hours when I don't want six hours. My body is being a little, a little child about things and sleeping way too much. A little too greedy, you might say. I don't know about that. Do you, Do you function? I feel like you function better on like two hours of sleep than you do on six. I know, that's why I'm very angry this week, because I've been sleeping too much. Every every podcast, we start off with a range of emotions. This week is anger, so that's exciting. Yeah, my, my heart's in, in a bad place right now. You're a glass, in a glass case of emotions? No, I, I try to keep, uh, you know, like some, some uh, not glass, because I don't want stuff to break, so, you know, like plexiglass, so I can man? bounce off of it. Oh, okay. Okay, anyway, let's go to what this podcast is about. USC is coming into this week ranked number wait, wait. 11. Wait, this podcast isn't just about me and my sleep amount? No, even though it turns out to be that a lot of the time. Huh, huh that's okay. interesting. Anyway, writing the ship. we could talk about USC, maybe, I guess. Maybe, maybe. Okay, back to what I was saying. USC is coming into this week ranked number 11 by the college football playoff poll. Were you surprised by that at all? Sure, I was. I mean, that that was a you know a pretty big jump, six. I mean, not as big as Michigan State. Michigan State went from twenty four to twelve <laughs> over one victory. Uh, so what what it was was a lot of the Big Twelve team. I mean, the Big Ten teams slid down in the poll. You know, USC jumped over Ohio State. I think they jumped over uh, maybe even Penn State. You know, they they you know had a big bounce there. Uh, so it's like, wait a second, is there really an outside chance that USC can get in the playoff? Maybe. I mean, I, I saw a tweet that I thought I kind of agreed with. It said, you can't praise strength of schedule and then be mad that USC is number 11. I definitely think that had a, a big part in, of it in it. I guess I, I believe they had the eighth hardest schedule in the, in the FBS. Which is interesting because they don't have a top 25 win right now. Because Stanford lost, they get knocked out of the top 25. Uh, you know, Arizona, after USC beats them, they fall out of the top 25. So the current top 25 teams, USC does not have a win over. Which yeah. is, you know, kind of interesting. Yeah, which is interesting in the sense that uh, we mentioned the Facebook Live. If USC actually looked semi decent about against Notre Dame, I'm very curious where they would be this week instead of 11. Very true. I mean, they probably, you know, uh, they had an opportunity in that game. There was a big national game. They could have, you know, made a big impression on people. Instead, they made a very poor impression. So instead, I think that is playing into, you know, part of, you know. You know, just the psyche of, you know, if they get down to it and they're a fifth or a sixth place team, people are going to remember that game and be like, well, I don't know that we should move them up in the top four. Remember what happened against Notre Dame? And part of that was that USC's defensive line was beat up. Uh, you know, Josh Adams ran all over him up the middle and Brandon Winbush was able to run all over on the edge. So, you know, you talked about on the Facebook Live about how you you give them a pass for the Washington State game because of how beat up their offensive line was. Well, their defensive line was pretty beat up in that Notre Dame game too. So yeah, that's you know, a good point. They are they're extenuating circumstances in 
you know, both of their losses. There's a reason. There's a, you know, there's a area to point at. But it doesn't excuse the offense. I feel like that Notre Dame game would have been at least semi-decent or competitive if USC's offense put together something. Instead of turning the ball over three times in the first half and giving uh, Notre Dame a gift on the nine-yard line on a a, uh, muff punt, yeah, of course. There was a lot of, like we said after that week, everything that seemed it could go wrong did go wrong for USC. They didn't play very well, and every bounce went against them, so... And, and it was kind of the exact opposite the next week against Arizona State. It seemed like every little bounce kind of went their way in that game. And you see the difference. I mean, most college football games, you, you can see really quickly when things are going well versus when things are going bad, how, how the, the tide of emotion and the tide of, uh, of 18 to 21-year-olds can change in a, real, uh, in a real quick way. And you can see blowouts happen because of that. Yeah, for sure. But as far as USC goes, when – and they're in for the Pac-12 championship. The magic number is one. So if they can take care of business in Colorado, they're going to the Pac-12 championship. Sure. Or they take business against UCLA next week, or they get some losses from Arizona, Arizona State. There's a lot of ways in. Now, you would like to be playing well going towards the Pac-12 championship because you're likely going to face Washington or Washington State, uh, a team in Washington that has a great defense that has been dominating all season versus or Washington State, which has already beat USC once. So... If you don't have any momentum, that game might be a uh, you know a, a just a continuation of the Pac-12 North's dominance on the Pac-12 South in that Pac-12 championship game. Indeed, um, but there is a very good chance that USC could be ten and two heading into the championship game. That's pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's good with where they were after that Notre Dame game and the fact that people were were you know calling for everyone's head and everything. That would be a vast improvement from that week. However. You look at the beginning of the season when you know USC was ranked number four, and you might say, "Well, ten and two—that's that's okay. Yeah, sure." But are they in the top, top four anymore? No, and that's where there's going to be some disappointment. Now, should they have been in the top four? I mean, they, that's the big question. USC had some 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 pretty gaping holes to fill, especially in the offensive line and the receivers, and those are those are holes that you know really made themselves known. Uh, and, and were present in USC's losses, you know, the and the struggles they had early in the season were at those positions in particular. Yeah, I, it's funny because if you, to me, I think the first thing I tweeted the first spring practice after the Rose Bowl win was, this team has no identity besides Sam Darnold and maybe Ronald Jones. Like, this was a team that was young. There weren't many leaders. I mean, so for me, coming into this season where there were such high expectations, I was like, is it? People are really looking deep into this team. I don't know. We're getting too deep into a weekly podcast, but that's that's deep. my two cents. We're going deep. Do you have anything to say about what I just said? I mean, you know, the, the team, they like you said, they have struggled to have an identity on offense, and you know, finally it seems like they're running the ball well, and that's what they want their identity to be. They've kind of, they've kind of the last week, especially against Arizona, they kind of said, let's not do the whole balance thing all the time. You know what's working? Running the ball. Ronald Jones, Akasajic, where? Let's continue doing that. They finally did that. That's something we've been asking for all season. Hey, just do what works. Yeah. They finally did that at the end of the game, and, and look what happened. Indeed. Okay, stock up. Who you got? I mean, we'll start with Ronald Jones. I yeah, mean, that's the, the sure. most obvious one off the top. I mean, second straight game where he nearly goes for 200 yards. Um, this was the stat. I told you last night I had a stat for you. There's, oh, uh, yes. Of, I'm so excited. <laughs> so pop me in the face a little bit. I was like, 
Ronald Jones is now PFF College's uh, pro football focus. You know, we have a deal with them at 24-7 Sports. Uh, so I went into went down the rabbit hole last night. A major, major rabbit hole. Some may say could have caused you to oversleep last night. <laughs> Some could say that. I mean, I probably spent three or four hours, you know, looking through PFF stats and stuff because once I get into stats, I, I can't look away. And the one, one of the ones that popped out to me was Ronald Jones is now the number one rated running back. Wow. Number one in the country. In the not co- Saquon wow. Barkley, not Bryce Love, none really? of those guys. He's wow. the number one rated running back with a 91.2 rating, and he's the second best rusher at 92.1. Who's the uh, first? At 91.2 and 92.1. So uh, number one is, is Bryce Love on that. Yeah, but that then sense. once you take into effect you know, receiving and pass blocking, and if there's any run blocking on occasion with two back sets, Rojo is actually the number one running back right now. That's insane. And also, Rojo, after Arizona, passed the 1,000-yard mark this season for the second time. He did that last year, and he, he did it again. Um, he had 216 yards against ASU, and now he had 194 against Arizona. Just crazy. 194 with a 98-yard touchdown take Yeah, back. yeah. Those, those are the things that you, you want back. So one of my stock-ups was Ronald Jones, but also the Texas two-step. I mean, Aka Cedric Ware had a very big game as well, getting his second consecutive 100-yard game against Arizona. Um, you know, he ran really hard the whole night. He broke some tackles. You know, I thought he looked really good in that game. They had Stephen Carr come back. They only used him a little bit. He fumbled on his very first carry, but it didn't get didn't get credited with a fumble by the USC stats crew. You know, taking care of him. Uh, but – he re- recovered that fumble, and then he only played seven plays the entire game, which was kind of weird, and we'll get to it a little bit later, just the, kind of his usage there. Um, but, you know, the fact that Akasajic Ware can step in with Vi Malapai, uh, you know, out with an injury and not able to go, Ware steps in and shows, hey, don't forget about me. I can do some things here. Yeah, I also had him on my stock up. I talked to him this week, and I was just like, how did you keep your he- how have you kept your head up this season? Because there's been a lot of younger guys – that were once below him getting time over him. And he was like, I just kept my head up. Um, so he, he, I credit him for the perseverance. The crazy stuff that I told you last night was he has 225 yards on the season and more than half of those yards came against Arizona on Saturday. So to be put, put in the game and just be like, yeah, I'm going to have a, uh, have a night. He told me that when he woke up on Saturday morning, he was like, this is going to be a good day. He felt it from the beginning. And, and that's what you saw. Well, that's probably because he knew that he was facing Arizona, and their run defense is awful. And uh, he, he exploited them last week, last year, I mean, and he did it again this year. Uh, credit to him. He was running through and had some big runs. I mean, not just the uh, the short yardage stuff. He also took care of business um, you know, with a, a breakaway and run down the sideline. Um, and so he, was, he had a very good game. I thought he was great in that one. Um, I was going to ask you this earlier. If, as far as Ronald Jones, it feels like he's kind of turned a different corner. He's like on the next level. Is that the O-line gelling now that you kind of have the injuries settled a little bit? Is that Rojo has just turned a new corner? Defenses that they're going against are struggling or a mix of all that? I mean, part of it is the defenses. The, you know, part of the reason why USC was so successful offensively last year after the first four games is because they didn't play very good teams the rest of the season. That definitely helps. It has a big impact in, in that regard. You can look a lot better when you're playing worse teams. You can make some mistakes and get away with them. It also has helped that the offensive line has had some consistency. I mean, I think Nico Fala told me after the game, he said, 
you know, we were, we were starting to get a groove going. And then Washington State, they lose players. You know, they have some injuries. Vi gets hurt. Vianney uh, um, Talamavayo gets hurt as well as Toa missing that game. And suddenly they were regrouping. They had a, you know, they're putting guys back in. They're trying to, you know, become a unit once more. And you have Chuma Adoga going back and forth in and out of the lineup because of ankle and wrist injuries. So it's been tough in that regard. And I think they've played well the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's helped that they've played some smaller defensive lines that, uh, you know, are not quite, they're nowhere near the talent level of that Notre Dame defensive line where USC really struggled. You know, that, that physicality that Notre Dame brought was something that I guess USC offensive line just wasn't really prepared for. So, you know, they played very well the last two weeks, and I expect them to play really well the next two weeks. I mean, you got Colorado coming up who just gave a bunch of yards to Arizona State, and then you got UCLA. And UCLA is the currently is the worst run defense, power five run defense in the last 15 years. The worst. No, no, no other is, is as bad as them. They're, they're giving up over 300 yards per game on the ground. Uh, so if USC gets uh, is healthy going into that game in, in next weekend, then you know expect them to, to turn out some big numbers on the ground once again. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what the running game will do in the next two games because it, be, it could be a show. Um, I had young guys on the defense stepping up. Um, and in that little grouping is John Houston. He had an interception. He led USC with 10 tackles, and he had a sack. Um, I noticed him much more than I usually do in a, in a positive way. I feel like he was kind of all, all over the place. I also had a Jana Harris. He had an interception. He had a nice pass breakup. I mean, he did have that, that penalty that was a little iffy. Um, but then I also Andy, had... And he also gave up a fourth down touchdown to okay. Sean Brown. Maybe a, a stock neutral. But <laughs> And then I also had Jordan Isefa. Um He's getting used to that that edge rusher, that pred- that predator role. So I thought those guys kind of stepped up as a whole. I mean, they are younger, if you will. So I thought I thought they did a good job. Yeah, I, you know the the young group. You know, and it's good. This is part of the season where you expect to see those young guys start to go forward. You start to see them make some improvements and start to kind of shine. I thought even you know the limited snaps he had. I thought. Uh, a guy like Levi Jones. He only played three snaps, but I thought he did a good job while he was in there. He had a tackle on one of the snaps. I thought Matt Lopes as well on the back end. So that's not a young guy, but a, a, you know, a reserve as well. The guys they put in there, you know, did their did their part to help out on defense. And I thought the defense as a whole, you know, the numbers aren't great, but they, you know, overall when you just look at it, but the fact they held Arizona like 150 yards, uh, you know, rushing fewer than they had previously, you know, than they were averaging. And they kind of, you know, they shut down Khalil Tate for three quarters. There was a good 12, 13-minute span in the third and fourth quarter where he went off, but the rest of the game they shut him down, which just shows how deadly he can be and how quickly he could score in that game as well. Yeah, I have the defense as a whole as my stock up as well. Um, I know some people were knocking them because Khalil Tate actually looked like Khalil Tate in the second half, and it was like – the fact that they limited limited him the way they did is a victory in itself. I talked to Jordan Isefa and I was like, "What was the difference in the second half?" And his eyes just got huge, and he was like, "He was just a different beast. Like he was just a different person." <laughs> like, and credit to them, credit to Khalil Tafer finding a way. But I thought USC's defense did well, and especially if you look at USC's offense, if they actually capitalized on certain things, didn't make mistakes in the first half, that game's not even close. Um, and that's not the defense's fault. So, agreed. Yeah, and one of the guys that I had on stock up was Marvell Tell. I mean, Marvell Tell III was, was kind of tasked with, with a challenging, what, what Clancy Pendergrass said, a challenging job of trying to pretty much shadow Khalil Tate. Now, some of it depended on, you know, where someone lined up, but a lot of times, you know, they, they 
um, saved a man instead of going, you know, your normal 11 on 10 is what you have on, on defense with a normal quarterback against a, a runner like Khalil Tate, you have to go 11 on 11. So, you know, he was manned up. That was his man. Khalil Tate was often the guy that he was responsible for. And, you know, I thought he did a great job coming downhill on some blitzes. You know, he, when he fired through the line, you know, there were some, some times when he was just, you know, he forced Khalil Tate into other people's arms a couple times just because of how impactful and how quick he was getting through the line when he blitzed. I thought he did really, uh, had a really nice game in, in that regard. You know, there were some missed tackles. You know, there were some missed tackles for a lot of the team. However, I thought Marvell Tell, you know, kind of stood out with the the impact he had in a versatile role that you don't normally see him in. Mm-hmm. I also had, I guess, honorable mention Malik Dorton and Rasheem Green. Um, for some reason, I made notes Saturday night at like three in the morning, and I wrote them down. So, um, but I went back and checked, and Malik Dorton had a sack and a tackle for loss. I thought he played well. He's kind of more quiet. No one's really given him props, but this was my, I guess, 3 a.m. Keeley's way of giving him props for playing well. Rasheem Green, I feel like the guy has been hurt for like seven weeks, but he continues to play. I think he's been a real anchor for that defensive line um, and playing through in, in injury. So uh, he also leads USC with seven sacks. So And USC's D-line now is the leader, national leader in sacks. Fun fact. It- yeah, they've been playing really well. It helps when you get 11 sacks in the last two games. I mean, and that they have an extra game than the other teams, but shh, don't tell anybody. I don't think we, anybody we knows that. that USC hasn't had a bye yet. You know, we'll use that to their advantage for once. <laughs> True. That's all I got for stock up. I, I got, uh, you know, part of what you were just saying, but a controlled pass rush attack. You know, mm-hmm. they were able to get five sacks. Arizona had given up five sacks the entire season. Most of that is the fact that Khalil Tate can make guys miss. He did make some guys miss in the backfield. However, when he did, USC had another wave of guys there. You know, they didn't over-pursue in, in the backfield. Uchenna Wosu coming off the edge didn't get too far upfield. You know, those edge rushers didn't do that. You know, they funneled him in. They kept him inside with the blitzers and different things. You know, I thought the pass rush attack was very good. You didn't see a lot of times where USC blitzed and Cleo Tate just kind of gets outside, and then it's like, oh, no, he's going to run a long way because – USC has no one left back there to, to get him. I thought they did a really nice job when they brought pressure. You know, they stayed in their gaps and they didn't get, you know, they didn't, weren't out of control with it. So a controlled pass rush attack at stock up. Oh, I like it. In, uh, in cahoots with that, I have stocked down Khalil Tate's Heisman hopes. Oh. You know, there was a kind of an underground movement, I guess you could say, <laughs> because obviously no one had seen Khalil Tate play because his previous three or four games have been on the Pac-12 network. So no one nationally had seen him play. But... You know, the numbers he was putting up in October were absolutely astounding. And, you know, with a big opportunity, you know, with people staying up on the East Coast because they're like, hey, I want to see what this Khalil Tate guy can do. Well, they stayed, you know, some of them probably stayed up for the first half and said, okay, never mind. And they turned the TV off at halftime. It's too late on the East Coast. I'm going to bed. And they might have missed, you know, some of the stuff he did in the second half. But, you know, I thought his Heisman hopes definitely, you know, the, the slim hopes that he had definitely took a hit especially on a day when a lot of other guys did not play very well, where he could have made a really big impact if he had a big game against USC. Yeah, I felt bad for him. I This is in my heard on the sideline, but I, it was pretty well documented. But Khalil Tate started to just break down after the game and started to cry. And it was so cool to see um, not only Clay Helton, but a lot of the Sarah guys come up to him and, and give him words of encouragement and just tell him, like, hey, keep your head up. And you could just tell the guy had his heart on the sleeve. You know, he was playing for... For his city, L.A., I mean, he multiple times flashed the little L.A. hand symbol um, around at the Coliseum. You know, he he's very much aware of where he is and, and, and who recruited him. So 
I thought I thought it was kind of sad that that's the way the night ended him, for him. Yeah, and USC could have potentially, you know, if they could have talked him into coming and, you know, moved him to running back, which was kind of the thought that he might play at USC. Can you imagine that one-two punch with Ronald Jones? I mean, wow. uh, Khalil Tate has been absolutely spectacular this season. He was Houdini in high school. He's just taking that to the next level. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was tough seeing him kind of, you know, you know, with the tears running down his face. And it was kind of cool to see USC, you know, Clay Helton giving him a hug and then, you know, a, no, a number of his guys that – he played with in high school, you know, just sharing, you know, their, their, uh, you know, their, their encouragement to him for the future because, you know, he's going to be a, something to 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 mess with for the next couple of years. USC is going to have to put it together a, a nice game plan each year, and you know, they're going to have to play really well on the outsides, which is something they did in this game with the defensive backs to where they can. can uh, can push those safeties up close to the line of scrimmage and, and do some of the things differently that they did in this game. Mm-hmm. I also had stock down, and this is an obvious one, Pac-12 refs. Those Pac-12 refs were, it was just, it was just, I actually were, I was yelling at the field. I was like, are, are you, you kidding? How are, is there another delay? The delays were so, so long. I counted up, you know, uh, while I was doing, you know, while I was charting the game, I counted up. Let's just see how much time is kind of wasted, quote unquote, wasted. So every time that there was a review or a just the referees having to, you know, they had to fix the clock one time, three times, three times in one. No, wait, wait, no, reset it to, to 12.46. No, 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 12.50. Uh, no. Like three times they had to do that. So I counted just the time of when they went on the mic, you know, as a normal penalty call or whatever, to when they started the clock again for ready for play. It was 19 minutes of dead time. That's ridiculous. They had five reviews. I mean, that one drive that USC had, there was reviews on a targeting potential for a Daniel Amor Bebe. I could have told you immediately. It was not. <laughs> yeah. I was watching from the end zone. I was like, that is not a targeting. Then my, I looked at my photos. I was like, that is not a targeting. My roommate texted me, I'm 300 yards away, and I could tell that that was not targeting. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it seemed pretty obvious. It's okay if they go look at it, but on situations where it's obvious like that, then it shouldn't take that long. It should be like, okay, yeah. we looked at it. No, that's not. Then there was the Sam Darnold potential targeting. The, the craziest one was the one earlier in the game when, they, when Arizona had 12 men on the field. Clay Helton calls a timeout. You know, they you know, have to go over it. They give USC their timeout back. That replay, that review took five minutes and 53 seconds. That's six minutes of my life I'm never getting back because they, they couldn't – for two yards, for two yards. I mean, as USC far as – ran the ball. They got two yards in the play. They gave him the play back, and then they gave him the two yards with a half a distance to the goal line. Plus, the thing that bothered me is that there was a Rojo run that he – I think he was stopped at the one-yard line. He was targeted on that play, and no one oh, saw yeah. it. I was just like – it was just on a national stage – it just does not look good. I mean, sometimes it's like, haha, Pac-12 Rose, so funny, the the meme continues. But it was like, at that point, it was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is horrible. That was that was the one thing. They got most of the correct calls. It just was the fact that it took so long. They had it, every flag, it was like there had to be a conference. I mean, there was a, you know, they had to appoint a committee to determine whether it was a, you know, correct call or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know what was going on, but it took a long, long time. And that was my biggest complaint. Just the amount of time that it took in between plays 
when there was a flag thrown. It was just, it was kind of ridiculous. Plus, it messes up the flow for both teams. It's just it's oh, not oh, good. Yeah, definitely. Not good. I also don't think that the nose tackles for USC represented themselves very well. Wow. Now, a lot of the runs were outside. You know, I have them on my stock down. A lot of the runs were outside. But they made no impact inside either. Now, some of the, you know, the, the read option is Khalil Tate will run it outside. Or J.J. Taylor, their little small scat back, goes up the middle. The defensive tackles, the nose tackles, uh, Josh Fatu and Brandon Peely had zero tackles. They, they did not make the stat sheet. You know, they just didn't have any impact in this game. And, you know, getting back Josh Fatu healthy and getting him going is, you know, something that has been a big difference since that Notre Dame game. However, I don't think that, that either him or Peely had a very big impact. And part of the, and what happened because they weren't very impactful early in the game is that in the fourth quarter, USC actually went with Malik Dorton at that spot. Now, maybe it's just, you know, they want to use a, a guy that's a little bit more athletic than the, the two nose tackles because they know that Khalil Tate's going to try to get outside, those type of things. But they used Malik Dorton 12 of the 14 defensive snaps in the fourth quarter um, because, you know, those nose tackles weren't really doing much. Interesting. I had red zone efficiency for USC's offense. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't convert a fourth down to start the game. That's kind of womp womp. Uh, the goal line interception that Sam Donald called one of the worst plays he's ever had on the football field. <laughs> um, they are 117th in red zone conversions. Fun fact. It almost feels like something's different once USC enters the red zone. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 the, I'm very curious of the the play calling. Who, if someone jumps in, someone jumps out, what the deal is with the play calling in the red zone. I mean, it seems like, and some coaches do this, um, where, you know, a head coach or someone else steps in when they're in the red zone. I remember Sark said that, you know, he would have input when USC got into the red zone, when he gave up the play calling duties. And it seems like it's just a different play caller once they get in the red zone. So yeah, it I, really we does. don't know the true dynamic of that. You know, they will not say what, you know, who does what exactly with that uh, play calling, but they say that. You know, that Tyson Helton has input, that Clay Helton has input, along with T. Martin. So, But it does seem like, hey, once things get down and there's a shorter field, you know, it's more difficult to find holes in the red zone, obviously, because it's a shorter field. But it just seems like things are a little bit different down there. And when you go three of six in the red zone, now granted, one of them was at the very end of the game. They took a knee. They could have tried to run the score up if they wanted. But you go three of six in the red zone, that's just not cutting it. That's that's an opportunity for 42 points. You come away with 21. That's not good enough. Mm-hmm. See, this is the question I had when I was prepping last night for you. Has USC relied more on strategy or talent on offense to beat their opponent? Ooh, that's a, I mean, it's always a mix of the two. And if your strategy is really good, then you get your talent in space and let the talent do its work. Um, so I think... You know, I, I think that there have been times where I've been like, wow, that's a really good play call. That's a really good devised, schemed play. You know, they, they did something. Like, there's some times where Deontay Burnett's been wide open for touchdowns. You're like, oh, I see what they did there when you rewatch the, the tape. And you're like, that's a really good design right there. They, you know, they influenced the safety this way. They did this. Uh, particular, uh, for one example, was the, the Ronald Jones uh, catch down the sideline. Uh, they they sent motion across the the formation, so they had three wide receivers on the right. They sent uh, Burnett, I mean, sent Ronald Jones up the left hand side. The tight end was on the left hand side, Daniel Moore baby, but he broke inside and takes the safety with him. That's a great play call. They get a one on one matchup. You get a, one of your faster guys on a linebacker. He runs by him. Great throw by Sam Darnold. Great catch by Ronald Jones. Big play. 
you know, that's, that's a great play design. That, that's also using your talent well, knowing that you have a speedy guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. And give a lot of credit to Ronald Jones and how much he's improved as a receiver out of the backfield in that regard. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, the talent has the talent will help you miss tackles and stuff like that. So I, I think it's a combination. I think the talent has made, been a bigger part uh, for USC, especially when the offensive line doesn't do well. That's when talent comes into effect even more because Sam Darnold has to make plays on the run and your running backs have to, you know, make a guy miss in the backfield. And at times the offensive line has not been very good. So I'm going to give it to talent on this one. Long-winded answer, talent is the answer. Interesting. Barely. Very interesting. Who else you got? Uh, on stock down, I had Stephen Carr, you know, uh, touched on it, you know, fumbling his first carry. Um, and then what was really weird to me is that's his first carry in five weeks. He fumbles the ball. He had, it was a three-yard gain. He got it back. Good for him. We don't see him again until the second quarter when it's fourth and one, and he gets his next carry. On, like, that's when you're going to bring him back in, a guy that's fumbled the one time he's had the ball in five weeks. You're like, you know what? This is a great time. Fourth and one inside our own territory. That was a really curious decision in and of itself. Going forward on fourth down, USC did some different, did a different thing. You know what? In my opinion, what I think happened is like we we know this fourth down play is going to work. That's what it seemed like because it was something different that they did, and they were like, oh, we've seen this on tape. This will work every time. This is going to be a hundred percenter. And they were lucky to get the first down because what actually happened, they overloaded the right side. So Toa Lobandon swung from his left tackle spot to the far end on the right side beside Chumadoga. They opened up this big hole, and Ruben Peters, the fullback, fullback alert, is actually <laughs> in the game. He has to take on the linebacker. He doesn't get a great block, and, and Chris Brown actually gets pushed in the back by Stephen Carr. And give credit to Chris Brown. He's like falls down on a knee, and he's still like trying to make a block. And <laughs> wow. he gets just enough of, of a second linebacker to, for Ronald Jones to kind of spin, I mean, excuse me, uh, Stephen Carr to spin a little bit and fall forward instead of getting stuffed at the line. So, it, you know, if if Chris Brown could have got got through and made a block right there, that might have been a touchdown run. I mean, it would have been Stephen Carr uh, up against the safety coming from the other side of the field. So it was a, that was one of those times where, hey, we got this great play design. We're going to go for it on fourth down. And you're like, but you run the guy who's fumbled once in the last five weeks, and then you have a mistake, you know, where, you know, where Chris Brown is kind of pushed down. You're like, this play could have been uh, terrible. They could have given the ball back to Arizona with a short field up 7-3 and given them all the momentum. Yeah. Interesting play call and interesting time to put Stephen Carr in yeah. you know, as the back there. I, I wasn't very sure about that. Um, I also had Toe Lobin on. Stock down because I feel like whatever's happening with his knee is kind of underrated and kind of going under the radar. I mean, maybe for USC it's just nothing and they're acting like it's nothing, but they've been so weird about injuries this season that I'm not sure. But he hasn't, he didn't do anything this week. Um, it'll be curious to see if he does anything on Thursday, um, the closed practice. But his left knee, he kind of got rolled up on. And then he was kind of stretching it and like flexing it, and then he was just gone against Arizona. And then he didn't try to disappear. Yeah, like they don't mention it on the broadcast. It's not he doesn't like fall on the ground, have to be helped off. He just kind of looks over the sideline, and then you like look up and you see Austin Jackson running, and you're like, wait, what, what, what just happened here? Let me rewind a couple plays, see what happened. He kind of got dove into a little bit, but you know he's flexing it. That's about it. That's all you see. You don't see him like reaching and in pain. He's not limping. He just disappears. 
Batoa Lobodon has always been weird with his knees. I remember when he, he tore his ACL against Utah, he was walking around. Like, he walked to the end of the field and then got carted off. So, like, he's not saying that he tore his ACL, but he's been weird about showing pain in his knee. So, I just don't know what's going on with him. And Helton hasn't really mentioned him. And he's kind of... I So, I don't know. I, I, I'm done guessing with who's going to play when or what because USC has been so weird. But I'm just saying it's a little curious to me. It is concerning for sure. And... Not the Utah game. How about the second time he tore his ACL against no, uh, against Alabama last year and played the rest of the game? Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> and after the game, he's like, eh, it swelled up on me. Oh, they got chested out. Oh, it's torn. Okay. Yeah. He gets the award for most under uh, low-key ACL tears, I guess. I don't know. Or just high pain tolerance. I'm not that, real sure. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I heard it on the sidelines. You know I've been waiting to say this for basically since the game ended on Saturday and you said you would block me from saying it and I'm still saying it. So Shaka and I have this little system because he's a little bit more mobile than I am in the game in the sense that I have to film every play just in case like the Ronald Jones 98 yarder. You never know what's going to break out and be an exciting highlight. So Shotgun roams around a little bit more because he can take photos and take plays off. Oh, the slacker. Um, just kidding. Um, no plays off, thank you. I see you. But anyway, so I, I was moving around and I saw Isaiah Langley uh, on the trainer's table and he was getting checked out. I think it was like around his head area. I don't know. But I walk up to Shotgun and I'm like, hey, I see Isaiah on the trainer's table. Um, it looks like he's getting checked out. I don't know what's wrong with him. Keep an eye on him. And Chuckman goes, okay, yeah, I will. And then, so then fast forward that to after. not my boy for one. <laughs> it is. Fast, no, fast forward to the end of the game. Chuckman walks up and he's like, yeah, no, nothing was wrong with Isaiah Langley's eye. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I asked. Yeah, you said to check his eye. That's what I heard. No, I said keep an eye on him. The best no, part. check his eye. The best part is that you asked Isaiah about his eye and he was like, what? <laughs> Um, so, but what happened? I ended up getting the actual scoop. He had a shoulder injury. You know, he had a little bit of neck pain, a little bit of stinger. He was icing it down. He was going to be good to go. Isaiah Langley also had a very good game. He yes. actually graded out as the best defender on USC's team for that game against uh, against Arizona. He had a, a you know the the highest grade on the team. You know, his coverage was really good. You know, he he was you know he. I think he faced six passes and gave him about three receptions, and I think a couple of those were like bubble screens. So, you know, I thought he played really well in Amon Marshall's uh, absence. Yeah, I agree. Who we might see get back this week. You know, maybe we'll see Amon Marshall back on the sideline. I'm back in uniform and, and you know, uh, cleared to play. Yeah, I mean, he's been getting work this week, um, working with the second team. Um, he looks a little bit better on that knee. He's still wearing a brace, so we'll see how much time, if he gets time this week. Um, yeah, as we said, we never know what those. Uh, really don't know. I'm, I'm giving up at this point. Ten games <laughs> of the season, and I'm not predicting anymore. Also heard it on the sidelines was actually walking up the tunnel afterwards was Chris Hawkins and Lieutenant Nwosu both saying, "This is the most tired I've ever been after a game." You yeah. know, I thought that really you know stood out and, and kind of uh, showcased how tough it is to defend against Khalil Tate. USC did so well the first two and a half quarters and then for a quarter Khalil Tate you know dominated the game and the fact that they were chasing him all over the place uh someone you know I wrote about Chris Hogg I put up the video of him someone's like well it'd be better if they just tackle him instead of chasing him <laughs> I, I wanted to you know just drop a no shit Sherlock on, on that one I mean that's obvious yeah uh, but he's not easy to tackle there's a reason why he's been so good for 
you know, the last month and a half is because of how difficult he is to tackle and how elusive he is. Um, USC, like I said, did a really good job corralling him, having multiple waves of defenders there to try to tackle him. But those guys were, you know, there was a lot of blitzing, especially for the safeties. You know, Shannon Wilson was playing uh, hurt. You know, he's banged up with an ankle injury. You know, so those guys were just kind of warriors in that game. And you could see the impact of it after the game, having to try to uh, corral uh, Khalil Tate. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this game was kind of weird because I'm usually always in the background of things. Like, it just happens the way where I stand. <laughs> like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I was in the background of the Notre Dame game. I think one of the Arizona games. Um, or I wasn't. So this game, though, it was like an... It, I, my mentions blew up. I don't know what happened, but everyone was telling me I appreciated it. Because all of a sudden I was like, I think something happened because my mentions were just like... So, yeah, I was in the background. Um, I usually stand behind the kick returner, and that's some good airtime. Also, Rojo running into me also helps with getting that airtime. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, bring that up. Uh, you got ran over by Rojo almost. Yeah, no, it, it was kind of fun, to be honest. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, is, I think he saw... He, I swear, I, I watched his eyes. I slowed it down. I think he saw the camera and wanted to do a little showboating for it. I'm all for it. Go for it. Give me well, good footage. There's a whole row of cameras there at the end line. Yes, but he as, but know, he beelined to me. Let's be on. honest now, shotgun. And so he he pulled up with enough space for me to get a great shot. The problem was it wasn't Rojo. It was everyone behind Rojo that was jumping on him and then just shoved him into me. And for some reason, my brain wasn't like, oh, you should be careful, or oh, like maybe stand up. My brain was like, just slowly start kneeling away, which is not <laughs> at all a good strategy for getting out of the way of a very strong person. So it was it was pretty pretty eventful. You could, all, you could always turtle up. You no, know, just no turtle. The, you know, the no, position. embrace turtle the up. hit. Embrace the hit of a running back. Just kidding. No, but but I I have to say I, I feel like Lil Keeley would have been if you told her that like ten years ago. Like yeah, you're gonna be on the goal line and get hit by a running back. That's really good at his job. I would have been like oh my gosh. So it's pretty cool. Not gonna lie. I once saved a song girl's life uh, from an Arizona State running back. You literally said this before on this podcast. Well, I just want to bring it. It's back your claim up, to fame. Lifesaver. I'm mm-hmm. a lifesaver. You are apparently so. That's all I got for heard it. Uh, I also wanted to point out Juju having the time of his life oh, on the sideline. Oh, line. my gosh. He was a ball of energy. I, he didn't know what to do with himself. Like, he no, he, he just didn't know. He At one point, he was running up and down the sideline, high-fiving everyone in the stands. He went into the into the, the student section and let a We Are SC chant. He was everywhere. I mean, it, it, I asked Chris Hawkins, I was like, what was it like seeing those guys? I mean, because it was Michael Hutchings, Daquan Hampton. Michael there was a bunch Hutchings of is there players. every game. <laughs> yeah, but there was a bunch of guys that were there as a group, you know, and just a lot of guys that Chris Hawkins kind of, you know, grew up with during his time at USC. And he's like, yeah, those are my guys. It, you know, it was great to see them support us. And he's like, Juju is all up in the stands doing all this extra stuff. He's like, he's just enjoying life right now. He's, he's living life. his that best is such life. That's a true statement. It's, it's he really is. true. He, he's having a great time. He's still a 20-year-old. I mean, he got his driver's license this week. I believe Ooh. he also had a poll about which car he should get, which is that's the life when you can just poll people. Hey, which car should I get? So, I go mean, Juju. I would tell him like a 1992 Honda Civic. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. He's just getting his license. He's probably going to be an offender bender or two. You know. 
Oh, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, we've seen the way that Juju recklessly runs into things on the football field, so I would not be surprised by it. That's true. I also, um, I'm, apparently I'm the official uh, beat reporter of Juju on the Beat, and I knew they were going to play the song. I knew it. And once they played it, I've never, I haven't run faster in my life in the last, like, three years. I just cr- sprinted, and it wasn't that. It was anticlimactic, but... You know, I it was it's because my, you were actually looked, I, I saw you running and it looked like you were running in slow motion. So yeah. Oh that's the fastest you've run in the last three years. <laughs> wow. No. Okay, first of all, that's slander. You were nowhere around me. <laughs> Second of all, my, my I guess my, my instincts, my start time was good. The finish oh, okay. I don't know. But the start time. The you know how they measure like when the gun goes <laughs> off to when you come off the blocks? Like the, the juju and the beat entering my ears and me running, it was a good reaction time. That's all I'm gonna say. That's a good reaction time, strong out of the blocks, slows down really quickly. Yeah, you know, I got I got your uh got your scouting report down now. <laughs> no, no. Scouting <laughs> reports are wrong. You know, stars don't matter. <laughs> Just kidding. Ryan Abraham disagrees. <laughs> yeah, probably. Anyways, let's move on. Well, we got keep it, change it. Keep it, change it. I have plug and play on defense. It was an interesting quote that Clancy Pendergast said, but he said that, you know, the way he works is, and the way the players work is you can kind of plug them in and they'll play. Um, and I was actually talking to someone um, about Clancy's defense, and they were kind of giving it a bad rap, and I was like, hold on, you got to give Clancy some credit for his his defense isn't based around some great player making plays all the time. It's you the amount of guys who have been able to step up and fill in Christian Rector, Jordan Isefa, Brandon Peely, Isaiah Langley, and have just filled in that role. I think is is a credit to maybe the development, maybe the talent. I don't know, but Clancy's defense doesn't revolve around a star player, um, and it survived with the rotating door of other players like Josh Fatu, Port Augustine, Iman Marshall. So the whole plug and play theory. Uh, keep it. Yeah, and when we're talking about the defense, you look at, you know, I looked at the PFF grades for last night, and, you know, when the I was black in my hole of PF, hole yeah. study, uh, you know, they don't have any standouts on defense. Uchenna Nwosu is ranked in the top 20 at, position, at his position. He is graded out as an 85.2, which is a very solid grade. It, you know, he is in the blue. They have different colors. The blue is elite. He is in the blue for elite. They have three other guys that are in the very good green. That's it. They have three guys that are above 80. You know, there are four guys total that are above 80, uh, you know, on their overall grades for the season. Um, you know, there's just a lot of guys in the middle. They're, they're making some plays but make some mistakes. And, you know, that's kind of what you've seen from this USC defense. There's not guys that, like, oh, that guy's going to make a play every single time. You know, there's been some missed tackles. There's been other things. But I think the defense as a whole has been pretty solid outside of that Notre Dame game where everything seemed to be pretty much going against them. So uh, even like even the loss to Washington State, you know, I thought they played pretty well. Um, See, you but know, you could argue that Porter Gustin could be a star if healthy, and maybe Uchenna if Porter, because you saw in the ASU game, Uchenna definitely was better with Porter Gustin playing. You know what I'm saying? As far as like yeah. the whole, there's no star. I but you haven't seen that. I mean, but I'm saying could you have that potential. But yes, you're right. Maybe, and I mean, Port Augustine is graded out, you know, as average as well, and part of that is because he's been playing hurt. A lot of these guys have been playing hurt, which is part of the reason why I think some of the grades are a little bit lower than maybe yeah. uh, you might expect. Uh, because like a guy like Rasheen Green has been, you know, a monster on the field, and yet he's been he's played through like 14 different injuries. It feels like I feel like he's nicked up every game just because he doesn't have anyone else that can really, you know, step in and fill that role. I mean, this past game. 
There were 74 defensive plays. You want to guess how many he played? 74. 72. 73. I mean, oh. he got two plays off. It was, it was a big, you know, a big night off for him. He got two plays off. He's played, <laughs> he's had four games this season where he's played 70 plus snaps. No defense, now, no down lineman at USC has done that in the last three years. No, no down lineman has played one game with 70 plus snaps. None of the nose tackles, none of the other defensive ends. It just hasn't happened. Um, so the fact that he's able to stay in the game that long, it's, it, he's got a Warriors mentality out there as well. You know, I've been really impressed with his game this season, and I think. You know, it's gonna if he decides to leave early for the draft, it's gonna be a big impact on USC's defense next year. Yeah, for sure. Who else you got? Uh, I, you know, I just said the, the alumni love and return. You know, it's always fun on homecoming to to see a bunch of people that you know that you went to school with and everything for for the US people, USC people. And I, I thought that it was great. You know, the uh, you know having Troy Palomalo back there and you know just the the entire atmosphere of the home county homecoming game I thought was great with the guys that were on the sideline before the game and during the game. It, it was really fun down there. Troy looked so chill. He looked like he could just, like, drop someone off to soccer practice. Like, I'm so used to him looking so intense. Does. Yeah, that's cool. But, like, he looked so, like, I'm chilling, man. Like, I don't know. It was just such a shock for me because I'm so used to seeing him as, like, the, like, ah, guy that it was, it was yeah, a stark on the field, contrast. he's like a headhunter, you know, big hits and stuff with the Steelers. Off the field, he's just, you know, an unassuming guy, unassuming soccer dad. <laughs> it was also cool seeing Juju and him interact. That Steeler connection, so yeah, yeah, and and you know the the uh, you know some of the uh, there was a ton of fans trying to get pictures with both of them. Some of the recruits were trying to get pictures with them. You know, it was it was really cool to see you know that star power on the sideline once again. Mm-hmm. And you know the fact that it was former players it didn't have to be a celebrity or anything that was really cool. And the fact that Troy made it back, you know they uh, they said it was his first time since his playing career ended, so. Fun to see him back. I thought he was going to leave the, the team out of the tunnel. It seemed like a good tunnel day for him, but he's low-key. Soccer dad. Um, I had keep the heart in the team. Um, you know, there's... there's They came... Arizona tied the game 35-35. USC was pretty flat on the sideline. I feel like if you rotate out who the head coach is, Sark and Kiffin probably... Their teams probably wouldn't have come back. And one like they did. I mean, granted, you have an AJN and a, and a John Houston interception that helps, but um, I thought I thought that this whole season we've seen that they have heart. They come back even when it doesn't look good. They still find a way to come back, and uh, I think they should keep that. Yeah, and it helps when you have number fourteen back there to help lead the offense, and it helps when you open up a hole or two for for twenty five. I mean, those guys are really good. They're really good at this collegiate football thing. So when you help them out, when the other guys around them help them out and let them do their thing, it works out pretty well. Pretty good. Pretty well. Um, that's all I got for keep it. That's all I got too. What about change it? Um, getting out of your own way. Ooh. Yeah. USC had a bad interception, the dumb celebrating penalty. Um which was stupid of the Pac-12 reps, too. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't taunting because no one was around them. But at the same time, are you really going to have a, a fake photo shoot in the end zone? Just- the craziest part, now, the backstory here, a little backstory. Me and John McGillan, who is the USC's official photographer, yeah. we actually got some photos of those two guys, you know, posing for us. Probably a drive earlier. Maybe it was a quarter earlier. I don't remember off the top of my head. But same two guys, and I'm like, 
I guess they decided that they were just going to take their own photos this time. And, you know, they didn't need us anymore. And, you know, this is what happens when you don't include the media. Let's see. That's what happened. 15 yard penalties happen when you don't include the media. Exactly. But, but yeah, we, we actually got some photos of those guys posing and we're laughing about how they're kind of always willing to pose or whatever in the middle of the game. You know, there's still little kids out there. You know, they have that mindset. They're just playing and having fun, which is great. I love that. And I think it was kind of a, a, a trash penalty to call, you know, on two guys pantomiming that they're taking photos of each other. But they did call it, and it became a you know a significant play because that kind of got the um, Arizona offense going. Even though they fumbled on that drive, you know I think that kind of helped their, their offense get going because they got a first down finally yeah. to start that drive, and then they kind of got some things going. They, they were able to get a couple more first downs. With the help of another penalty, you know Jack Jones offsides immediately after that. Uh, but they, they picked up a couple first downs and got down in the red zone, which kind of swung the field and you know changed things a little bit. Yeah, but but to my point, like just penalties that just shouldn't be penalties, just undisciplined. I'm all for having that, that talk and getting all that. I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying? I'm all for the trash talk. Just be smart about it. I feel like Ajayne has made plays, has made like outlandish gesture not gestures i don't know he's just been kind of cocky when he shouldn't be <laughs> in certain situations and every time i'm like so i feel like this game was the one that he actually got got snagged for it but yeah so just get out of your own way i mean just get out of your own way <laughs> yeah it would help and and to get out of your own way i say punch it in you know when you yes. got the ball on the one yard line you try to throw a pass when you saw what happened when they ran the ball the rest of the night, you know, they, they were on the one yard line multiple times after that and they were all touchdowns because they ran the ball. Uh, so I don't know why you, you need to throw it there. And, and Stephen Mitchell was open for a glimpse, but Sam Darnold was rolling to his right. Uh, Stephen Mitchell tried to go with him and that's where the safety ended up being. So that's why that play did not work out. Um, but, you know, you got to be smarter than that with Sam Darnold. And I think as a play caller, just run the ball a couple more times. The fact that you were gashing them so much running the ball, even though they made a couple of, uh, you know, short yardage stops earlier, just run the ball, take care of it. You're gonna If you run it three more times there, I guarantee they're getting in. That Arizona defensive line is not stopping them. Yeah, agreed. I had established the killer instinct early. Um, Michael Pittman was asked after the game, does USC have a, a killer instinct? And he said, we do – we just don't get it early. We get it at the end. And he kind of shrugged like, yeah, it, it, that's what counts. So I think if you get that killer instinct early, you play and and have decisive wins over teams. I think that's why USC fans are so frustrated with the season is because you get that, eh, did they win? Did they, they won. But they Arizona did come back and tie it at one point. You know, get that killer instinct early. Dominate your opponent for once, maybe. Maybe we'll see them in the next two games. But establish that killer instinct early. Don't let up now that you have a lead. I felt like they they got too comfortable. Um, so don't do that. I don't necessarily think they got too comfortable as much as Khalil Tate started making some plays. Yeah, uh, and they got they got tired on defense. Uh, as now, far as as far as too comfortable, offense, I just mean not the defense necessarily. The offense just didn't stick with what worked. And you know how we both have been like stick with what worked. I mean, they had three, one three and out. Uh, other than that, then I, I think they scored most of the times uh oh wait i'm looking at defense set off if that was that was arizona they scored most <laughs> of the time in the second half. um but yeah the, you know they they needed to do more they they didn't get a third and two they tried to throw it to ronald jones and he got stopped and they had to kick they had to you know kick the ball away on their first drive they scored on their two of their next three drives 
But there are, there are three three and out. Or I mean, there's two three and outs in between there. So I, I think that was the biggest thing is when you're facing a team like that that is so challenging to, to chase after and to stop defensively, you can't have three and outs. You can pick up a first down. And it's not like they were like terrible – terribly long third down so it's third and four and third and seven they didn't pick up they had a third and two earlier in the third quarter they didn't pick up pick up some third downs in, in the in the second half and that game doesn't get as close as it does um you know one of the other things i would point that i would change is you know try some way get chuma adoga on the field at all times i mean i know he's That's beat such up an interesting and predicament to me that whole situation yeah, I mean, and there was one point where Clay Helton went over and had, a, you know, kind of a personal one-on-one chat with him. Um, and now he was kind of – it was kind of a weird the way they were using the rotation there. Uh, he played all the first quarter snaps, but then in the second quarter and on, he, he pretty much switched back and forth with Clayton Johnston at the right tackle spot. Uh, there was a little bit different right at halftime in, in the first drive of the third quarter. It was Chuma. Uh, but the rest of the time, it was pretty much switching back and forth. But – Chuma has been a just a road grader on the ground. Um, he's actually the according to PFF. Another thing I found out last night <laughs> during my rabbit hole experience is that he is has the sixth best um, run block grade. I don't know. I think it's for tackles. He has an 86.7 run block grade. Um, so he's been you know great um, opening up holes on that outside. So, you know, if they can keep him on the ground, especially with the way they were running the ball, I think that helps even more. Um, just it's tough with the, the fact he's had some hand and some ankle injuries. It's tougher. He's an emotional guy. You just got to get find a way to get him invested at all times and healthy if possible so that he can go and they can dominate on the ground these next two games. What you said just said right there, get, make sure he making sure he's invested in all times. Is that is that concerning at all? The mental aspect to his game? I mean, it. it it's every player is different and you know because he is such an emotional player uh, i think that that can sometimes lead to him getting you know frustrated or or you know he's not the same he's not sam darnold sam darnold's even kill all the time his frustration or excitement barely shows chuma's the opposite you know the when you were get almost got run over by ronald jones that was probably chuma or daniel amore baby it was daniel but yes jump on someone uh and, and knock him down in the end zone uh, that, that's happened multiple times. Those guys get excited, and that's what you, you need. Guys of all, you can't have a robot team where <laughs> everyone is Sam Darnold. You can't have a an emotional roller coaster team where everybody's Chuma Doga. You got to have a little mix of everything. And as a coaching staff, you have to be able to coach all those players, and you have to be able to work with those different uh, emotional states. Uh, I think so. The good coaches get the best out of every player, and that's that's what you hope that this coaching staff can do a guy like Chuma Doga because he is, he can be really good. You get him invested and, and I think he can, you know, he can help dominate some games. Mm-hmm. I also had a random keep it or I mean to change it, get Levi Jones more reps. <laughs> I thought he, he does well on special teams almost every week. He has something, um, get him more reps. And, and we may, depending on how the injury shake up, we may see Levi Jones. He was getting reps with, uh, Oliwole Batiku um, at that predator spot for Uchenna because he's been out this week, so we may see Levi. But it was a random little little thing I wanted to add. <laughs> yeah, I mean Levi Jones this past week, the only special teams unit he wasn't on was the point after try field goal unit. Wow! So he wasn't helping kick field goals, but every other <laughs> how uh, dare special he? teams unit he was on. Interesting. 
So, I mean, he's a guy that they, they're using a lot um, on special teams. I think they could, I've said it a couple of times. I think they could use him for, you know, five plays a game. I, they used him for three plays on defense this game. I thought it was good experience for him, you know, even if he was thrown into a new position. I think three to five plays is perfectly fine for some of those backups, and I think you can use them like they did in that game. I mean, there were, what, 74 uh, defensive plays, and he played three. That's You know, you can get him five plays. That'd be fine. I, I think another guy, Akili Ross, got three plays. You can get those guys in for three, four, five plays, and I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on the game, but I think it's very good for their development. Uh, as long as they don't blow an assignment, I think it's still very good for them. Uh, I think it helps the football team in the long run versus necessarily the short run. Yeah, for sure. That's all I got for changing. I'm done, too. Wow. Okay, so last question to wrap it up, to pick your brain. Um, who you got this week? What's your prediction? Uh, you know, there's the possibility where USC struggles with Colorado. They haven't played great against Colorado in a couple years. Um but I don't think that's the thing this year. I mean, I think they can run away with this game. I think they will take care of the ball on the ground. As long as they don't turn the ball over, which has been the issue all season, then I think you will see a, you know, probably a 23-point victory or something like that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you're not... I mean, my, my point spread was almost exactly on for the Arizona game. Really? So maybe I'm doing really well now. I, I was, don't know. I said 42 to 27, and it was 49 to 35. So I don't believe you. Off. I'm not giving you credit. <laughs> um, never do. But what about what about Senior Day blackout? The change in the the I was at atmosphere in the altitude. <laughs> you know, those actually could all be good things for USC. But well, besides the altitude, uh, <laughs> but the fact that the you know maybe there'll be some energy in the stadium. Even the fact that it's a little bit earlier game, I think USC has to come and be prepared. That's the thing. It's going to be a little bit different. They've been playing at night almost exclusively the last month. Uh, you've got to come and be prepared. And, you know, that's one of the questions been been about this team. Can they be consistent? You know, can they bring the same energy, the, the, same, uh, the same impact from players in every game? Uh, we haven't necessarily seen that. They played down their competition at times. They haven't – they didn't play up to Notre Dame's competition. Uh, so – you know, this game, I, I think they need to show that. So it is a concern, obviously. But I, for some reason, I think they just blow them out. Yeah, I think I think they USC wins by at least two touchdowns. I just don't think Colorado's run defense can hang on for long enough to stop one of USC's four running backs. So yeah, and and that the, their defense was so good last year. Colorado's yeah, was, it's they crazy. Lost a the change. Lot of, they had a lot of seniors, a lot of older guys. I think they lost three defensive backs off the the team to the NFL and they lost their defense coordinator, Jim Levitt, who's at Oregon now. So I just don't think the defense can hold up. It's similar, similar to how I felt about Arizona. I was like, Arizona has some weapons and, and Colorado does not have nearly the weapon that Khalil Tate is. But I felt like USC would just be able to pound the ball on the ground and be able to control the, you know, the control the ball offensively. And I think they can do the same thing as Colorado. Yeah, I agree. Alrighty. That wraps it up for our, our multi city family feud podcast today. <laughs> Multi-sidial. Oh, wow. Is that a word? Not sure, but let's roll with it. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for our podcast. I'm going to Boulder, but you're not. So, wah, wah. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be enjoying the game from the comforts of my couch, just like I am right now. And you won't be freezing like I will be? <laughs> it's a 2 o'clock game. If you're freezing in a 2 o'clock game, then, I run well, cold. You, are an, you are an Orange County girl. So, what, what else can you say? Born and raised, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.